Hey, I'm Danny Stover, and this is Today in TO, a podcast that takes a look at the biggest stories in the city and connects the dots on what's going on. And don't worry, I'm not going to touch your precious dots. Psych, I sold them when you weren't looking. On today's episode, you'll get the details behind the Auditor General's report into the controversial Greenbelt land swap. And I say swap, but it was more of a private sale. Plus, if you want to celebrate Toronto and do everything you want to, great rhyme. I got a place for you to go. The exhibition is back, and it'll help us squeeze the last few drops of summer. That is all coming up on Today in T.O. How excited are you for the new Ahsoka series coming to Disney on a scale of 1 to 10? I'm a 10. And so leading up, I've been doing something really, really cool. Don't be jealous, uh, but I've been rewatching Rebels in preparation. And I'm going to ask that you stay with me here, okay? Because this might be a bit of a walk, but it'll get us where we need to go. And it allows me to talk about one of my all-time favorite Star Wars characters, the Bendu. Okay, so you've got the Jedi. They represent the quote-unquote good guys. You've got the dark side, the Sith, they're bad. And then you have the in-between. And in Rebels, there's a character called the Bendu. And I love the Bendu. The Bendu is a force wielder. And they're neither good nor evil. They are the in-between. The everything and the nothing. The balance. Despite the Bendu's infinite wisdom and power, when asked to help the Jedi in a conflict with the Empire, he's like, nah, not going to get involved. And to try and convince them, one of the Jedi, Kanan Jarrus, tells the Bendu, look, you need to help us, the good guys, or you'll be destroyed too. And the Bendu sort of laughs and at this point says, I am unseen, unknowable, like a rock in the river. And I have been thinking about that line all week long. And to be honest, one of the reasons I really fell so hard for Star Wars, but especially the animated series like Clone Wars and Rebels is because the lines between good and bad are kind of blurred. You can start to see the cracks in all of it. And you understand some of the intentions behind some of the characters you may have deemed good or evil. And at the end of the day, when you mess with the middle, the in-between, the all-knowing and the unknowable, like the environment, for example, you may be unleashing terrible consequences that will wipe out both good and bad, leaving nothing behind. I like to imagine that after we're all gone, there will still be a river for a rock to dwell in. But it's uncertain at this point. And I know this is a big nerdy walk that I'm taking you on, but I obviously highly recommend Rebels and will take any opportunity to talk about it. But also we need to work together to ensure that we're not blindly throwing away precious resources like protected green space, wetlands, farmland, and forest especially when the details surrounding it are rather villainous. The green belt is a living thing. Uh, it was created 18 years ago uh, as something that would, uh, that would last forever uh, and, and, and be adjusted from time to time. 
and adjustments have occurred in the past. Those adjustments have been small and have been driven by technical considerations. That was Zach Taylor, an associate professor at Western U. The Greenbelt is a living thing. It's a protected area of land, green space, farmland, forests, wetlands, and watersheds over two million acres worth. Once it's gone, you don't get that back. Premier Doug Ford appeared to recognize this back in 2018 when he said this. Unequivocally, we won't touch the Greenbelt. Unlike other governments that don't listen to people, I've heard it loud and clear. People don't want me touching the Greenbelt. We won't touch the Greenbelt. We'll figure out uh, how to clean up this housing mess and this housing crisis that we're facing in a different fashion. But all my friends, I listen to you. If you don't want me touching the green belt, we won't touch the green belt. Okay, well, that puts an end to that. He's heard us. We're his friends. And he unequivocally will not touch the green belt. Phew! Oh, but maybe we should have asked a more specific question. Maybe you won't touch the green belt, Mr. Ford, but will you secretly sell it to your developer buddies? Last week, Ontario's Auditor General, Bonnie Lissick, released a report on changes to the Greenbelt. And this was to provide information that the public wanted to know and frankly deserved to know. And it laid out pretty much everything we already knew with 15 recommendations on how to move forward. It found that of the 7,400 acres of land removed from the Greenbelt, 92% could be tied to just three developers with direct access to the housing ministry. Housing Minister Steve Clark has been doing damage control in the wake of this, and you'll hear from him in a moment, but he says he's taking full responsibility. Some are calling on him to resign. Premier Doug Ford also admitted this. I approved it. At the end of the day, I take full responsibility for the process. But I can tell you, We have a housing crisis, the likes of which this province in this country has never seen before. We also have a climate crisis like we've never seen before, an affordability crisis. And yes, we do need to build 1.5 million homes to hope to put an end to that housing crisis. But the report also stated that removing land from the Greenbelt was not needed to meet the government's housing targets. Here's Ontario's NDP leader, Marit Stiles. Report after report, including the Premier's own housing task force, including the Auditor General now, say that we don't need to use the Greenbelt land. So why is he proceeding with that? Why? I mean, a very few small number of insiders are going to make at least $8.3 billion off these land swaps. Um, There's clearly insider knowledge. Envelopes were exchanged. USB keys were shared. The process was rigged. These guys won the lottery, and the lottery was rigged. And it isn't about building housing. In fact, if anything, it's going in the wrong direction because it's going to build this kind of luxury sprawl. It's going to cost us all more in the end to service those areas. When municipalities, we can rezone, repurpose, in existing boundaries, and make better housing faster. This government's going in the wrong direction, and I was really appalled that they didn't um, reverse course, which is one of the things the Auditor General and myself asked for. The report also found that 14 of the 15 sites were proposed directly by Housing Minister Steve Clark's Chief of Staff, Ryan Amato. 
93 confidentiality agreements across multiple ministries were signed over the course of the project. This shows a lack of transparency, communication, and improper consultation. This is the process that everyone is apologizing for. The owners of these 15 sites chosen through the process could see a more than $8.3 billion increase to the values of their properties. There are absolutely no ethical billionaires. No one is able to make that amount of money in the amount of time we're on this planet without capitalizing off the work of others. And the other, in this case, is protected green space. Now, after this bombshell report came out, the housing minister, Steve Clark, made the rounds answering his own questions. Was the process flawed? Yes. Do we need to tighten up the rules around the process? Yes. Have we committed to implementing those 14 recommendations? Yes. And I think it's very important for our government and for me as minister to implement those recommendations as quickly as possible. And I've committed to that uh, today uh, in response to the report. That's kind of skirting the truth because weren't there 15 recommendations in the report? Here's the minister again on a different show. The final recommendation we didn't accept, and that was to start the process over again. I'm sorry that we rigged the process, but we won't start over because then we wouldn't reap any of the benefits. Oh, I mean, we need housing. Always back to the housing. Hmm. I think Anakin Skywalker was right when he said, liar. We'll continue to pull this thread on the other side of this. Stick around. Bendu says, once a secret is known, it can't be unknown. And one big lesson that you can glean from this ancient force-wielding tree stump of a being is that the tools and information one is given is not good or bad. It's all in how someone chooses to use those things. And so when it comes to the Auditor General's Greenbelt report, it found that a small number of real estate developers with close ties to the housing ministry and the chief of staff were able to use their access to have protected land opened up for housing developments. This all stems from the fact that, yeah, we need housing. And this is all part of Bill 23, the More Homes Build Faster Act, that was passed back in November. This legislation is part of the provincial government's plan to build 1.5 million homes by 2032. And the province will tell you that they cannot do that without the Greenbelt. But the report, and others, Call BS on that. David Crombie is a former Toronto mayor and MP. He was also the chair of Ontario's Greenbelt Council. Yes, there's a housing crisis and everyone agrees with that. But the government has been using it as a kind of weapon. The fact of the matter is, she says in her report, and she confirms what everyone else has been saying who knows that business, that there is no need to use land in the Greenbelt. I need to repeat that because they keep on with the same story, but it's so much blather. The fact of the matter is every expert who's involved with it other than the government knows that you don't need the land in the green belt. The second thing that she pointed out was that the government engaged in a a pattern of behavior, a process with a small number of land developers uh, uh, who bought land in the green belt, most of it after 
that the green belt had been established. Uh, and they, they've now given a windfall profit to a small number of developers who are friends of the government. This is a scandal. This is a, 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 a full-blown scandal by this government. And they're trying to talk their way out of it by talking about a housing crisis. There is a housing crisis, and everybody needs to do something about it from all three levels of government. But what they don't need is two things. They don't need uh, to do it on the green belt, and they don't need to make uh, uh, an $8.3 billion windfall profit for their friends in the development industry. So again, housing targets, even lofty ones, can be achieved without sacrificing protected lands. And like David Crombie says, it does bear repeating. And with protests now popping up in response to the report, all eyes are on other MPPs in the Ford caucus, like Peter Bethan-Falvey in Pickering, for example. Global's Queens Park Bureau Chief Colin DeMello will get the last word on this for now. The Greenbelt investigation by the Auditor General revealed so much, and I think a lot of us are trying to get to the bottom of the question of how is it that nobody knew, nobody had a hand in this except for one chief of staff? I spoke with the Ontario Liberals yesterday. They said they don't believe that for one second. So the Dufferin's Rouge Agricultural Preserve, it's about 4,700 acres. It's in Pickering. It's in the minister's, uh, the minister of finance, Peter Bethlenfalvey's mm-hmm. political backyard, so to speak. It's in his riding. So we wanted to know from him, you know, what, what did you know, right? And I asked him point blank, do you have any conversations with developers uh, to remove those lands from your own riding. And the minister was kind of caught off guard by the question. He seemed to, to stumble a little bit before getting his bearings and, you know, perhaps searching for the talking point, as most politicians do, that's somewhere in their head. Um, you know, he basically said, no, he didn't sit down with any developers for, for the removal of lands from uh, the green belt. Uh, But then he also very quickly said, look, he supports the initiative because he supports the government and he supports the building of 50,000 homes in the Greenbelt, even though there have been multiple reports that have said, you know, there's enough land outside of the Greenbelt to achieve 1.5 million homes. You don't need the land in the Greenbelt. We'll keep following this story. I know it's not technically Toronto proper, but it has a huge impact on all of us. And I don't like being lied to by someone who claims to be my friend. And now I'm talking about you, Dougie. All right. Are you ready to have some fun? The Canadian National Exhibition kicks off uh, from August 18th and runs until September 4th. Here is CEO Daryl Brown. I mean, there's not many places in this city you can pay $20 and have all of the events to choose from that you have at the X. It's still, I think, one of the one of the cheapest ways to enjoy a, a day that you can find out there. So, you know, I think people appreciate that and are really up for uh, coming out this year. Having said that, it was a little touch and go for the CNE with the pandemic and all. You know, we can't go to a bank and borrow money because our, our event is our event, but we don't own anything in terms of real assets, right? And so that we were in a pretty big hole, and so we did need to get that funding to get us to, to 2022, but we never doubted that people would come back. And, they, you know, it was really, it was almost surreal. I mean, people were, at the end of the day last year, exhausted but still smiling. The CNE has been a summer staple in Toronto for a long, 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 long time. And to tell you more, here's producer Glenn Bergonier. And yes, it does mark the end of summer usually for many people in Toronto, myself included. I personally remember always loving and hating the last day of the CNE because then you knew school was coming up. But for over 177 years, 
at least some form or other, the Canadian National Exhibition has been a centerpiece to many in Toronto. Well, let's go back to the beginning. Originally, in 1846, this was before Confederation, so just keep that in mind, the CNE was actually much more of an agricultural fair that made its way across the many small towns that made up Canada West. Which, if you remember grade 10 history, or whatever grade we learned this in, it eventually became Ontario. And then after spreading around for a little while with no real home, in 1878, the then city of Toronto purchased 20 hectares of land near Lakeshore that would eventually become the grounds of the Toronto Industrial Exhibition, which is what it was called at the time. And it was still largely an agricultural and industrial fair, that is, until electricity was first introduced in 1882. So think of that already, that's been just shy of 40 years, no electricity and very much agricultural. Then, very quickly, the fair began to grow. In fact, by 1912, the city of Toronto had to expand the property from 20 hectares to 141 hectares of land, which would become the permanent location of the fair, which was also renamed the Canadian National Exhibition that same year. In 1927, the Princess Gates were finally built. And those, by the way, are the beautiful columns and archways that make up the entrance to the exhibition place with the goddess of the winged victory on top. This was originally designed with only nine pillars, meant to represent the nine provinces of Canada at the time. Just once again, keep in mind, Newfoundland had yet to join the Confederation. And if you're wondering, well, what happened to the CNE during the First and Second World War? Well, not only did the fair continue as much as it could, the exhibition grounds actually became home to military detachments and would put on elaborate grandstanding shows presented to the soldiers and residents alike, usually with the themes of loyalty and victory, if not something plainly Canadian. But after the war is where we see the CNE really begin to take the form that we know it is now, as by the mid-50s, a larger American influence in regards to large fairs was beginning to become more evident until eventually that bubble burst in the 1960s when the CNE really leaned into the consumer market and started to show off new technology. That includes the latest cars, the latest appliances, some of the very first computers, and other type of show-stopping feats. And this tradition, by the way, still exists to this day. And then, well, let's jump ahead a little bit more. Mm, let's say about 30 years. Because by the 1990s, the Canadian National Exhibition had become Canada's largest fair and the fifth largest across North America, I might add, and saw roughly 1.3 million people a year enjoying the many sights, sounds, and smells and tastes that the CNE offers. And now, being expanded to what it is today, the exhibition grounds don't just host the CNE every year, but they actually have set up the Enercare Center, the BMO Field, the Coca-Cola Coliseum, the Beanfield Center, and Hotel X, all on top of that one place that houses the CNE. Let's be real though, it's better known as the X. Okay, I have a little exhibition story. You'd never believe me, but I once met a pre- NHL Jason Spezza while giving out free Toronto Star newspapers as part of a random ringette fundraiser at the main gates, and we traded hats. Mine was uh, an Olympic hat, and his was a maple leaf hat, believe it or not, that my dad ended up wearing to the point of no return. But the point is, we should have traded numbers. <laughs> I'm teasing. It would have never worked out. Me? In Ottawa? <sighs> of course. This podcast is brought to you by 640 Toronto and features audio from shows across the Chorus Entertainment Network. My name's Danny Stover. Today in TO is produced by me, Glenn Bergonier, and David Spargala. Amanda Capito and Chris Dunner are advisors to the show. Make sure you follow us so that you never miss an episode. We release them weekly. 
And you know, there's no harm in going back if you've missed a previous one. I won't tell. Till next time, have a great week. We'll chat soon. Bye. Bye.